often as visionary thinkers, we seem to always want to make these quantum leaps, right? We want to make drastic changes. We want to do things quickly. We want things to just end up at that final result. And these quantum leaps are never the process to actually making art. My name's Corinne Morrison and I'm an Australian contemporary painter. Here I welcome you inside my studio as I reveal the good, the bad and the messiest parts of my creative life. As you dive down this rabbit hole with me, it's my hope that through honest connection, this space becomes a true legacy of what it means to be stubborn in service of pure passion. Let's dive in. So I'm just going to paint a little visual for you right now. Um, apologies in advance, by the way. Uh, the paint shop below is most certainly open and is busy. And painters just happen to speak really, really loudly. So if you can hear people speaking in the background or paint shakers going, all I can say to you is, welcome to the way I have to operate. One day... I will have a beautifully silent, serene studio nestled in the middle of a bush, possibly made out of shipping containers. But for now, my studio is above the paint shop and I am sitting on my rug in my studio, on my cushion that I have, um, with a cup of tea in hand, surrounded by new tubes of paint because I am avoiding doing my profit and loss statement. <laughs> oh, I'm sure most artists understand that feeling. I've been avoiding doing my profit and loss statement for about three months now. Um, and for the last three months, I have used my current work in process as my excuse. Um, and today, um, yeah... There's actually no excuse. I just... I shouldn't have even come to the studio today. I was supposed to be sitting on the computer doing that. But... Today's topic is a really interesting one, actually. And... It's kind of been evolving quite a bit over this week. Um, oh, my God. Can you hear that? Why do painters have to talk so goddamn loud? I have no idea how that's going to come out in the recording and there won't be any way to edit it and I'm not starting again. So, anyway, something really interesting happened this week. Well, over the last couple of weeks, actually, because I have works at multiple different stages in the studio at the moment. So... For the last couple of weeks, I've been quite focused on my commissions. So I have to get them to a point where they're really in the flow and then I can kind of pivot backwards and forwards to other things. So I've been mostly focusing on those. So they're for a client in the US and they're going really well. I'm really, really happy with how the layers are coming on. And then there's this other painting. Panel 066. So it doesn't have a title yet 
none of my paintings have a title until the end. So for now it's just its item number, 066. And I can't even remember which phase it was at when I last did a recording. It was probably at the sanding phase. So I'm going to actually backtrack. I want to talk a little bit about creative risk and for the most part that is how this whole sanding excavation came to be. Um, it's really interesting. I start talking and always these stories in my head just babble up from the past and I feel like I need to speak them. So anyway, let me tell you this story. So prior to working in acrylics, I was actually working in oil and cold wax and in the same studio space that I'm in now. And I still remember this day that I walked... Actually, it was a night time. I walked into the studio at night and I'd been working on this series of work for, like, oh, months and months and months. And... Um, I just remember walking in and I was certainly at that stage of life trying to escape some things in my life. And um, I walked into the studio and I looked at all this work and for the first time, like, I'd been working on this series of work for months and months and months and it was like I walked into the studio and saw it with this fresh set of eyes for the first time and I looked at it all and I thought to myself it's got to go, like, that was just the feeling, like, it's got to go. There was something about the work with, that just had this horrible energy about it that was just screaming escape, which for a long time that's what my work was, it was an escape. And this energy within me just built up and I put all, all of that work on the floor of my studio I put a huge drop sheet down and I had this bottle of solvent and I just poured this whole bottle of solvent all over this work. I have no idea, like, what in me needed to do that. And then there was this piece of sandpaper on the floor and I started hand sanding these panels. And when you sand oil paint, like I was using oil and cold wax... And when you sand the oil paint, what happens is it just goes to this muddy, muddy mess. And I got this squeegee and I just squeegeed down this muddy mess that was there. And it was the first time I had revealed that magic that happens when you sand a surface. And I was like, oh, it was like this light bulb moment went off for me. So that's how all this sanding came to be. It came to be out of this need to change something, out of pure risk, like just needing to pivot the process. And the reason I explain that story, I think I might have briefly mentioned it in a previous podcast as well, but the reason I reiterate that story again is because a similar thing actually happened this time round with this panel, 066. So I sanded it and kind of happy with it like the first day that you sand everything looks good it really does because you sand and all the magic kind of reveals itself and you can see all the intricate details and it's like reliving the process again and then 
I always know not to analyse it after a sand. So I basically, when I sand a surface, I sand it, I don't analyse it too much and I leave the studio pretty much straight away after a sanding process. Sometimes the sanding process takes multiple days for this one because I started early in the morning and kind of worked my way through the day. I had a fairly large portion of it sanded by the end of, I think it was last week. I think it was last week. I don't keep track of the days. Anyway, the second day that I came back into the studio after the sand, I was kind of looking at this painting and there's just, even like when I'm looking at it now, it's different now because I've done something to it, but even looking at it, I just thought I had this, um, this like uncomfortable, unsatisfied feeling about it that just just knew that there was something more that needed to be done with it and that often happens at this sanding stage and that is how the carving came in so this is this process to art right like we're constantly moving our work from one stage to the next stage to the next stage based off intuition or past patterns that we've done in our work and so naturally I thought okay the next stage is carving and I know what I want to do and so I started carving and carved and carved and carved and the carving process it's freaking long like I've been carving this panel now for nearly a week not straight like I've been backwards and forwards between the commissions as well But I've been carving, carving, carving. And then I left the studio again, came back, looked at it with a fresh set of eyes again, and I thought, nah, it's not pivoting enough. Still needs more. And at that point, that's the point where you know you've got to take a risk. And so I've been mulling over the topic of this week's conversation and it's like I feel like it's kind of a conversation about creative risk but perhaps that's a perhaps the energy of that is not correct and let me explain I think to really think in perspective about this as a visionary thinker like last week I finished the podcast with um, sharing my creative vision so you can see how my brain is kind of wired like I'm always looking at the big picture like I have this feeling about what I want my work to do like what I want it to look like how I want it to feel And so there's always this signpost there that I'm aiming for. And often as visionary thinkers, we seem to always want to make these quantum leaps, right? We want to make drastic changes. We want to do things quickly. We want things to just end up at that final result. And... This is what I've been thinking about this week and journaling on. These quantum leaps are never the process to actually making art. 
And when I say I want to take a big risk on this painting, like I kind of did take a big risk. I, um, so what I ended up deciding to do, so I was carving, it was still not feeling right. And um, the first type of risk that I often go to is a cover-up. Like when things aren't looking or feeling right, I just cover really large portions of them up. Like I, um, so I ended up looking at the painting and I ended up pulling out Procreate on my iPad and just kind of tracing around on my iPad. Like, so I take a photo of the work, I pull it into Procreate and then I started kind of tracing around areas of the painting that I liked and covering up areas of the painting that I didn't like. And then I just started to cover up drastic areas and just to see what it would look like because you can always, like, erase on Procreate. And, I mean, obviously when you actually get back to the studio and actually use paint, it is completely different. But at least it's, like, a starting point to easing your way into making a drastic change. So that's what I did and I ended up coming to this point where I'd covered up probably a third of the painting with a different colour to what I had used in any other any of the layers underneath. So then I came back to the studio, I looked at the painting again and I thought, fuck it. I am. I'm just going to cover it up. And so that was the next step. I covered up this extremely large portion of the painting. And then from there, I had to leave it because I have to leave the paint secure before I can actually sand or do anything with it again. And the point that this painting is at at the moment is that I have now started carving back into those areas that I've covered up. So there's much more heavy contrast. Um, And I've got a lot more carving to go. But... Even from this point, like, I'm getting that little niggle that I just want to whack some really thick oil paint on there. And I know that I need to listen to those niggles. So, anyway, the phase that it's at is I've got a bit more carving to go, which I'm going to continue doing today. Um... I've given myself a day on this painting away from the commissions because the commissions I have been... um, Man, have I been pouring myself into just so many hours on these commissions already and super happy. Anyway, I've earned a day of break from those, so I'm going to do some more carving on this one today. But I just thought that this was this really interesting way of talking about creative risk because I'd be really interested to hear from other artists what do you do to risk your work like what is a creative risk to you and I don't think this comes just in the form of work like when you think about risk as a whole what risk is is it's an act of discernment right it's deciding what you don't like and what you do like And what I've been really tapping into at the moment, because I've been doing so much work on my inner self, sometimes I think it's important to understand that in order to have self-expression, we must first have a self to express. And by tapping back into this 
inner voice of mine and coming home to self and taking time to be quiet. It's really, really interesting how I'm noticing my work speak to me in a different way. Like, for example, I think sometimes when we go and make these creative risks on our work, what we, what we do is we make this risk and then we look at it and we go, how does that look? And maybe that's actually not the right way of going about it. Maybe it shouldn't be about looking. And this is what I've been experimenting with this week. So instead of covering it up and going, how does it look? I've been covering it up and carving back into it and going, how does that feel? How does that mark feel to me? Like, when I look at it now, do I feel frustrated or do I feel curious? Because there's two very, very different... Sorry, I've just had one of the painting reps from downstairs has just walked up the stairs in my studio, seen me talking to myself, given me this look, and turned around and walked back down the stairs. So (laughs) he's probably thinking I'm a complete weirdo. Um, Anyway, back to what I was saying is sometimes I think we get, yeah, stuck in the way things look rather than how they feel. And so I'm sitting here and I'm looking at the painting and I'm thinking, how does it feel? Does it... Like, I'm putting aside how it looks at the moment. I'm looking at the individual marks that I am making in this panel. I'm thinking, how does that make me feel? And it makes me feel more expansive as it is now. And to me, that is a step in the right direction. And going back to what I said earlier about sometimes being a big thinker, like a business-minded, visionary-type thinker, we think of these quantum leaps as opposed to the next freaking logical step. And so maybe instead of calling this episode creative risk, what we should be thinking about is this episode as one brick in the entire wall and I spoke to one of my close friends who's also an artist about this concept a little while ago because I always have this written on my wall like I've got it written on the wall behind me remember that not every painting has to be perfect not every painting needs to be exhibitable every painting though is just a single brick in the wall and we need to be willing to experiment and make bad art and take risks and be curious in order to get to the full wall if you know what I mean and I think sometimes it's a thing about you know as we clarify our perceptions we lose misconceptions as we eliminate ambiguity we lose illusion. And then at that point, we arrive at some form of clarity. And that clarity leads to change. And change is what is currently happening in my work. And it feels exciting. It feels expansive. 
And there are so many elements of what I do that I would never want to remove, like this layering and covering it over and the performative aspect of the excavation. That is so relevant to everything that I do. But now it's just asking for more. And I'm going, what is that more? Okay, I've started to get this sense of feeling like I need to draw and mark make again. And I don't know what made me do it, but so where my studio is, basically I've got all this off-floor storage. Um, So we built all this pallet racking storage, which means that all my panels, heaps of stuff is stored off the floor now, which means that my entire studio space is just wall. Um, And it means that I'm not tripping over things or anything like that. So in my storage space up above, um, I have this pile of square play panels. And I don't know, something about this week made me remember them. And I religiously, religiously used to do this. So I used to get one of these timber panels. So all they are is you go to Bunnings, you buy what is it, it's like 10 mil ply and you get them to cut it into like, hang on, how many centimetres is this? I should let me just get my ruler it is, so these are measuring Oh, exactly 30 centimetres by 30 centimetres so they're just timber panels they're cheap, they don't feel like a big deal because you haven't paid to get a custom panel made or anything like that And what I used to do is I used to just line them up on the floor or a table or the step, whatever I had in the studio at the time, and I used to just get paint out and I used to just do a 20-minute play session before every single full painting session. I just used to do these play panels. And they are panels that are not intended to be exhibited. Sometimes these play panels get left out and I'm just quite literally wiping my brush on them to clean my brush or mixing up a palette of paint and I'm testing my colours as I'm mixing them. I'll just test them on these panels. And over time, these play panels become objects. And these play panels were, again, this intuitive little curious concept that was one of the reasons why I pivoted to acrylic because acrylic paint dries so fast and I was like oh all these play panels they've got so many layers on those layers look so cool how do I how do I get some more layers on the panel and thus you know this has actually led into the work that I'm doing now as well and I'd forgotten that so I climbed up to the top of my my storage thing and I pulled out all these play panels and I looked at them with fresh set of eyes and these play panels would have been shoved up there as rubbish like sometimes they just go in the skip bin but the ones that I pulled out it was like seeing them with a fresh set of eyes and I looked at them and I was like holy shit how beautiful are these and I certainly didn't see any beauty in them like six months ago when they were probably out and I don't know why I think I just got busy being busy and I just knew where the work was heading and so I just got straight into the work. So I'm definitely going to start doing these play panels again. But there are elements of them that are really interesting to me. Like this idea of 
difference and having something, a mark that is really different next to another mark that is really different. It's this idea of contrast in a way that keeps a work exciting. And so I'm going to try and explain, like I'm going to pick up one of these panels here. So this one panel that I've got right, I remember doing it actually. I had a really limited palette. I think I only had three colours that were just sitting on my um, palette at a time and I just used those three colours to make multitude of other colours. And this panel here, it has carving in it. It has like single brush strokes. It has scribbles. It has areas of the panel that have been wiped with a cloth. It has areas that have been sanded. It has thin lines and thick lines and scrappy lines and just difference everywhere. So much difference. It's even got shapes in it. Like I can see a square, I can see a triangle, and I don't work with geometric shapes ever, and somehow they're in this. And there was something just so beautiful about those marks and then I look at my work and I think in some ways my work has lost a little bit of that because because it's so performative and this process has been ritualistic being that I bury it and I sand it and the magic happens through the process but the process has kind of lost the artist's hand in some ways and I think I was craving that at the end of last year and that's why I started carving back into it and now I'm looking at these play panels and I'm going okay how do I bring this drawing approach this abstract playful approach back into elements of my work and I still don't know how at this stage but it is my mission at this point in time to figure that out and I know that the only way I am going to figure that out is by taking the next logical step and that is probably to dive back into play again um And so I've got these play panels here in front of me and I'm going to take them with me. I'm going down to Kolpara again um, over Easter. And it is also reading Deprovision Week in the Artist's Way course that I'm doing. And what does that mean? It means that there is no technology and no reading. Okay, stop think about that for a second no reading so no emails no text messages no books (gasps) that is actually really hard for me because I am I constantly have a book open like I am I have a book on my bedside table I dive in and out of it I am constantly reading constantly absorbing information and so the idea of this week and every time it comes up every time I've done the artist way this week comes up and it is the biggest struggle but every time I have done it properly something amazing has happened so essentially what happens when you are not allowed 
to read or consume external information, it opens up space for you to be curious and play. So the one thing that I've also noticed that I do a lot of is I listen to a lot of podcasts because I have this incessant need to better myself, something that I'm working on. It's obsessive, like obsessive to the point that I don't think I ever stop learning. Like even when I get home, like I'll listen to multiple podcasts, I'll read multiple books via audio books as I'm painting. And I thought to myself, when was the last time I actually painted in pure silence? Like no music and no podcast or no audio book. And I have to be really honest with you, like my word for this year is quiet and I can't even remember the last time I painted in pure silence. So that is going to be my, my biggest mission uh, when I go down to Colborough this time. I usually switch off technology, but I'm also not going to take a book. Um, what I'm going to take is all this new paint that I've bought and some play panels. Um, and I might even let Harlan have a little play with me and I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen of this. But it has just been this week of discernment for me. I like that. I don't like that. And I like the feel of that. I don't like the feel of that. Like, what happens when I make a mark like this? How does that feel? And I think that when we, when we do a little bit more listening like that, it's really amazing how much we can learn from what's actually in front of us. So I think that's actually all I've got to say today. But creative risk is just... Oh, actually... No, I was going to mention something else. Creative risk is not just something that we do in our art. It's actually something that we have to do in our life. Um, And this is what I was also thinking about this week because I was thinking about, okay, what areas of life have I made creative risks in? And you think about the beginning stages of, like, my career as an artist and how many risks I made in putting on a solo show like that was a risk the risk in actually building this studio that I'm sitting in now um, that was such a negotiation process like yes my family owns the paint shop downstairs no I do not get this space for free and it goes up with inflation every freaking year I should really talk to my uncle about that he'll go business is business Kareem um But I had to negotiate to get this space that I'm in now. And at the time that I was negotiating, I, like, this space was a storage unit. It had shit everywhere and it was just like a dumping ground for everything. And I said to my uncle, I remember going into his office and I said, "Um, see that space out there? What if I could tell you that space could make money? And he like looked at me looked at the space and he goes all right off you go Morrison pitch it and I said well I would be able to make money out of that space if it was my studio 
what if I was to renovate that space, make it nice and clean, have like a workshop area up there and um, get rid of all of these boxes. Like this is a dumping ground. It's not making anyone any money, but it could make me some money. Would you be willing to let it make me some money? And um, he looked and he said, well, sure. Like if you're willing to clean it and paint the floor and set up the walls and do all of that, um, sure, the space can be yours. We'll figure out some form of rental agreement. And it meant that I had to pay to get balustrade put in and, like, it ended up being a large amount of money that I spent to set this space up. And at the time, I was not making money out of my art. It was just a risk that I took because I knew it was the next logical step in me being able to produce the work that I wanted to produce. Um, Prior to this space, I was in, um, like, a bedroom, a spare bedroom in my parents' house, and I couldn't paint anything that was larger than 120 by 120. And if I had a 120 by 120 panel on the the wall, um, that was it. That was all I could fit in there. Um, I was also destroying the carpet in the room too. It's still destroyed. (laughs) But the point was I could see big things for my work and I knew that I wanted to paint bigger and I knew that at the time I really needed to take a punt on myself and that's what I did. And in the space of, I think it was three weeks, like... (laughs) give this girl a goal and I tell you what when I've got a deadline and I've got a goal I'm a freaking weapon I made this thing happen I had help putting like the slat wall up but I painted the floors I was in here till like 2am some nights painting the floor so it was ready like I had this goal to have it done in a three week period and I did and It was by far the best risk I ever made, for sure. And when I think back of the grand scheme of things, like every decision I've made has actually just been one brick in this wall that I'm beginning to build towards that vision that I spoke about last week. And honing back in on all the work that I'm doing, I can just, mm, like I can energetically just feel this exciting pivot happening. And I'm sure that it's happening because I'm doing so much inner work at the moment. It's like what I said in a previous episode, our, you, you can't separate your life from your art when your life changes your art changes and all I know is my life is continually changing for the better right now so there is excitement there is curiosity there is a sense of groundedness and stability and love surrounding my life and what that is allowing me to do is it's really allowing me to sit with my work and have time for the work to really speak 
and to be able to feel safe enough in my life to be able to take risks on my art. And, yeah, I'm just, hmm, really curious to see how all these play panels come off. So I'm going to go and have a play. I'm going to pack a bag with some acrylic paint and some basics. The other thing I'm going to bring is this amazing medium. Ooh, I'm going to tell you a secret, okay? This is my favourite, favourite medium, and I actually don't use it a lot nowadays, but I used to use it a lot. So this is a golden medium, and it's called Cold Press Ground. And what it does is it will turn any surface into, like, a paper surface. So I used to be obsessed with working on paper, but it's just so not cost-effective for framing and everything. And I didn't like putting things behind glass either. I felt like there was always a, a barrier between the work and the person. Like, you want to be able to really get in close to an artwork, and I just hate putting glass over art. So I found this medium, um, yeah, cold press ground. And if you can imagine, like, a, a handmade Indian cardi-type paper, um, very thick, this can be put over the top of a surface, really thick or quite thin, and then you can sand it back to make it reasonably smooth or you can leave it textured. And the way that it absorbs paint is almost like watercolour. It's really interesting stuff. Um, but, yeah, I'm going to take some of that and I've already put, like, a little coat on my sketchbook. Um, so the current sketchbook that I'm working in at the moment is what's called a storyboard journal. And they are made by moleskin, but you can't get them in very many places at the moment. I've been really struggling. So the last time I picked up uh, about six of them uh, because I know that people don't stock them anymore. And what they're designed for is they're designed for, like, animation artists and stuff to do storyboards of drawings and everything. And this sketchbook that I have is... Let me just measure it. It is... Um, 14 centimetres by 9 centimetres, so it's tiny. And inside it, it has all of these um, individual little squares. And because the way I do my sketches, they're always like little thumbnail quick sketches. And, yeah, so I've coated this cold-pressed ground over the top of some of my colour planning. And I'm just going to have a play and see what that does. Um, but, yeah, it's just a time of experimentation for me, still leading down the same route of excavating and chance and letting process be the voice. But I'm just wanting to find a way of tapping back into that really energetic feel, drawn line, that spontaneous mark making. Like I've always been inspired by Cy Twombly. Um, oh, God, I could just surround myself with his books. Um, and, yeah, so I've just been tapping back into what are the things that I like? What are the things that excite me? And... 
Yeah, I'm really interested to hear about this notion of creative risk and how you risk your work or when it gets to that messy middle crossroads phase where you don't know where it's going to lead next. Like, what do you do if you're an artist? I think the similar thing would happen in writing because I know it does for me. Like, when I'm writing my blog articles, they get to a messy middle stage and then I have to make a risk and scrap half of it or something like that. So I think in any creative endeavour, we kind of get to these phases that things need to shift. Yes, anyway, quick one today, I think. And I'm going to get back to carving this panel because there's, oh my God, there could be so many weeks to go in just carving alone. But I'm going to be switching off over the next week with no reading and no technology. Oh, God help me. Um, It's going to be scary, but something good is going to come of it. Have a great day, guys, and, um, yeah, see you next time. Sorry about all the external noise today. It is what it is. Um, Stay tuned. I might share some of the play panels or something at a later date. We shall see. See you later.